for context, I noticed some uh, new faces. I just have to let you know that uh, against all odds, uh, God is raising up this weakling, Gideon, with uh, 300 ill-equipped soldiers to battle against 135,000 well-armed Midianites, cruel and ruthless, who'd sweep in as a disciplinary measure from the Lord to get the Israelites out of Baal worship and back into covenant and right relationship with him. And so they've cried out and they've repented for now the fifth time in the cycle of judges. And God graciously says, nice to hear from you. Um, I'm going to now act on your behalf. And he raises up Gideon. 120,000 of the 135,000 bad guys have fallen they have turned on themselves through a God-inspired confusion. Now 15,000 of them are running for their lives eastward to cross the Jordan and to go home. And so from our point of view, we think, you know, we finished chapter 7. Hey, it's over. Israel's free. The yoke of the Midianites has been broken. The oppression is gone. It may be over in God's eyes. But in Gideon's eyes, it's still game on. And as nasty of an ending that you will find in chapter 8, it, it is really our job to figure out what went wrong and to learn and to watch because those truths where Gideon went sideways can happen to anybody. And that's why those things are written down for our Benefit, so we pay attention closely here. You know, I'm going to ask you to just flip back to 7, chapter 7, and we're going to start at verse 24, because I think that this is where all the trouble begins. Verse 24, Gideon sent messengers. Now they're all running for their lives, and pretty much it's over, but there's 15,000 running away, right? So he sends messengers throughout the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and seize the waters of the Jordan ahead of them as far as Beth Barah. So all the men of Ephraim were called out, and they took the waters of the Jordan as far as Beth Barah. They also captured two of the Midianite bad guys, Oreb and Zeb. They killed them at the, those places there that I mentioned. They pursued the Midianites and brought the heads of the two bad guys to Gideon who was by the Jordan. So Roman numeral number one, even before we dive into eight, is going overboard. Can you ever do too much for God? The answer is yes. When you're acting on your own behalf and your own power and going beyond what God has commanded, you are fighting your own battles and conveniently labeling them his battles, but in reality, it's all about you, and we're going to find out that that's what's happening here. Gideon, I just want to ask you, what is your thinking here? God has taken two chapters to uh, kind of downgrade your army from 32,000 to 10,000 to 300, and now that you've effectively won the battle, you're calling for more troops to chase down the 15,000 people? It wasn't the whole point of the lesson. Watch what I can do without a big army. And now where is the Lord's command? Hey, Gideon, call out to the Ephraimites. 
Rally up some more recruits. Get some help here. Chase the bad guys over the Jordan. Keep going. Don't let them go. Where is the voice of the Lord? You will not find the voice of the Lord anymore speaking first person from here on out. And that, my friend, is one of the keys to uh, the answer, how did this guy go bad at the end? God's not speaking. He did a whole lot of speaking in 6 and 7. Go here, do this. Let me prove to you that it's really me. But there's no voice of the Lord because now Gideon is doing his own thing. Proverbs 30, verse 6, don't add to his words or he will rebuke you and prove you to be a liar. Don't stop short with the Lord and don't run ahead. Both things are bad things. Just do as the Lord leads and we'll be safe. And so uh, we, we, we're going to move into chapter 8 now. We're going to find that somebody's getting carried away. Somebody's head is getting too big. Someone's uh, too big for his britches. Now, Proverbs 30, verse 21 and 22, really encapsulates what's going on here tonight with Gideon. Let me read it to you. Under three things, the earth trembles. Under four, it cannot bear up. Number one a servant who becomes a king. Now, here's what that means. Certain people who are suddenly elevated in status in life can be unbearable. Uh, when that promotion is not accompanied with a change in nature, a humility, a mentality, and a kind disposition, in that case, when somebody like that, a servant, without that maturity, suddenly finds themselves in a position of power. They become power hungry. They can be a tyrant and be oppressive in their ruling. Watch out. Everything will be topsy-turvy. It says, under these three things, the earth trembles. It means fasten your seatbelt when uh, somebody like one of your coworkers suddenly one day gets a promotion to supervisor. That's a dangerous situation. <laughs> you all know about that. So it's his turn now to call the shots, and uh, everybody's going to hear about it. Um, can God suddenly exalt you without it being your undoing? Can he suddenly just let you come into a big blessing financially? a position of authority without it ruining you? I am cautious in that very thought, knowing my own heart. You know, I think that that's why Moses is stuck in a desert for 40 years running after sheep. And I think that's why the Apostle Paul spends three years before he talks to anybody has a vision and God drives him into the wilderness to beat some things out of him. And all of us, it's not just like this, boom, he elevates, but God deals with us. And that didn't happen for Gideon. And Gideon, uh, well, the Proverbs 27, 21, I love this, the crucible for silver and the furnace for gold, but a man is tested by the praise he receives. And Gideon is tested 
and found wanting. Verse 1 through 3. Now these guys, these new recruits who got the tail end of the fight, they have a problem. Okay, they got a bone to pick with Gideon. Verse 1. Now the Ephraimites asked Gideon, why have you treated us like this? Why don't you call us when you went to fight Midian in the first place? And they criticized him sharply. But he answered them, what have I accomplished compared to you guys? Aren't the gleanings, the leftovers of Ephraim's grapes, better than the full grape harvest of my clan? That's the name of his clan. God gave Oreb and Zeb, the Midianite leaders, into your hands. What was I able to do compared to you? At this, their resentment against him subsided. So Roman numeral number two, trouble within. You know, the Christian has a hard time. I don't know if you've noticed that or not, but I don't know. I, I have found it to be a fight, a battle for 32 years. The flesh, the human sinful nature that is always conflicted and wanting to have its own way, the world and its ungodly pagan influences always beckoning, spiritual enemies in spiritual places always coming against God's work in me and through me and you. But what's really sad is when the fiery darts and the arrows that fly are shot by the hand of a brother or a sister in the Lord. That's what's happening here. It's not so much the Midianites anymore. You know, all the veins are popping now, and, and, and they're ready to fight. They're upset. Ephraimites have responded. They come down. Their famous clan for pride and troublemaking. You can find that in Judges 12. They're causing trouble again, these Ephraimites, right? So what happened here is Gideon thinks these 15,000 are getting away. The Ephraimites live right by the Jordan. They can cut them off. I need their help. God didn't tell them this. But I'm going after, I'm having battle number two. God's battle number one's over. And now he's going to do battle number two. And what he needs, what he thinks in his own understanding, I need the Ephraimites. Come on down, cut them off at the pass. And that's what happens. They come down. They don't stop many from crossing the Jordan. Most of them get away. But they do manage to get the two bad guys. Uh, the, their names mean wolf and raven. They bring them back and they execute them. But these guys are more trouble than they're worth because they come down and they start getting insulted and tempers are flaring and they're accusing him and they're saying, why didn't you call us? You just give us the tail end. Uh, we want some of the credit here. We want the glory. It's not all Gideon saved us from the hand of the Midianites. We could have been in that billing as well. They're jealous. They're ticked. And these kinds of people are around today. Well, Gideon diffuses the conflict with some diplomacy that borders a little bit on flattery. He says, guys, listen, I can't hold a candle to you guys. And, and then he says, what have I done that's anything near your greatness, right? And so here's what the text says. Aren't the gleanings of Ephraim's grapes better than the full grape harvest of, of my clan? So what he's saying is, your leftovers, the two heads of these bad guys, wolf and raven, 
your leftovers, your tail end victory of just these two guys is way better than the entire harvest of my clan. In other words, the whole battle of chapter six and seven. You guys, oh, you guys are, you guys rock. All right, we love you. You guys are the men, right? And so they start to buy it and the anger subsides. And you know what? Um, unfortunately, he should have just told them the truth. And usually a soft answer turns away wrath, and it's a good idea, Proverbs chapter 15, verse 1. But in this case, it wasn't time for a soft uh, po political answer, because he's going to want Israel's full allegiance. And so he's just going to flatter them and, and, and manipulate them so that later in the chapter, when it's time to rule like a king, even though he's going to swear he's not one, he's going to need them. So he's just going to be diplomatic. He should have said something like this. First of all, there was a call in the beginning, and you guys didn't come to that. Even if you did, God was sending everyone home because he didn't want you or me to get the glory. So any talk about who gets the credit now is completely out of line. If you have a grievance about not being included in this, take it up with the God who felt you could sit this one out. And if you do not take it up with him, but rather if you do want to take it up with him, I suggest that you change your attitude. That's what he could have said. That's what he should have said. That's the truth. Instead, he says, oh, look, you know, you guys, you're sharing it. You did better than we did. Now back to the battle, four through nine, Gideon and his 300 men, exhausted yet keeping up the pursuit, came to the Jordan and crossed it. He said to the men of Sukkoth, give my troops some bread, they are worn out, and I'm still pursuing the two Zs. That's my shortcut there, verse six. But the officials of Sukkoth said, do you already have the hands of the two Zs in your possession? Uh, why should we give bread to your troops? Then Gideon replied, just for that. When the Lord has given these two guys into my hands, I will tear your flesh with desert thorns and briars. From there he went up to Peniel and made the same request to them. We're hungry, give us bread. We're pursuing the two bad guys uh, and 15,000. But they answered as the men of Sukkoth, had. So he said to the men of Peniel, you know, when I come back and triumph, I will tear down this tower. So Roman numeral number three, no more Mr. Nice Guy. All right. He's a new Gideon, uh, powerful, oh, self-assured, bold, confident, demanding, and just try crossing him. He's punitive. You're not on board with me. You're all going to die. I'll tear down your tower. I'm going to come back and torment you. Just like a king. That's what a king would say and do. And so Gideon and 300 pick up, and they're crossing the Jordan. And it says right there what went on. Town number one, they're passing through town number one. He calls the guys out, and he says, hey, we need some help. We're going after the bad guys. We're hungry. Give us some bread. And they say a line that means... Uh, you haven't really won yet. You're not secured totally. He says, do you have their hands? They used to. Sorry, what war is hell. They used to cut off the hands of the bad guy. And, and so they say, hey, do you even have their hands? You don't have to stop counting your chickens, Gideon, before they're hatched. 
Uh, we're not going to risk your 15, uh, your 300 men and you with a bunch of torches going after 15,000 of them. They're going to get regrouped. They're going to get re-encouraged. They're going to turn and they're going to wipe you out. And guess who they're going to come looking for? The guys who help supply you. So both of our towns are going to say no. They are not feeling it. And you know, when you are on your little mission and you want God's people to support you in your thing, it better be a God thing. Because I think personally that these guys just sensed he's crazy. He's got that crazy look. I'm going to get them. I'm going to get them. It's like, does he take time to prove that God has, what God has already done? with a weakling like him and 300 lappers of the water? They don't know any of that. Do you even blame them? I'm on the side of the guys who say, excuse us, you're crazy. You know what? We don't want to get involved. We don't want, we've got wives and kids here. Where's the Lord in all of this? Show me the Lord is in this and we'll supply all the bread. Crazy men, drooling, we're gonna get him, we're gonna get him, give us some bread. No. So he says, fine. When I come back in victory, oh, where's Gideon, the old Gideon that needs a little fleece or something? When I come back in victory, I'm going to tear down your tower by myself. All right, no help up there. And then you know what? I'm going to get some desert briars, and I'm going to teach you bad boys a lesson. What happened? The servant became a king. Oh, the co-worker's now a supervisor. Watch out, man. Heads are going to roll. Just a little power without character, without humility, without a sense of awe and gratefulness to the God who gives that power. All hell is going to break loose. 10 through 17. Now the two Zs are waiting on death row, right? Because they've been schlepped around first, you know, well, I'll just read it. <laughs> the, Ziva and Zamuna were in Karkor with a force of about 15,000 men and all that were left of the armies of the Eastern peoples. 120,000 swordsmen had fallen. Gideon went up by the route of the nomads east of Noba and Jogbaha. <laughs> That's a place you really don't want to visit. I don't know why, it just sounds scary. <laughs> what happened to you? I went to Jogbo <laughs> and fell upon the unsuspecting army. Okay, so Gideon catches up with them with the 300 guys. Ziba and Zamuna, the two kings of Midian, fled, but he pursued them and captured them, routing their entire army. Gideon, son of Joash, then returned from the battle by the pass of Heres. He caught a young man of Sukkoth and questioned him. So now he's coming home with the guys. He's got the two bad guys, and he gets a hold of this teenager and the young man. And he says, uh, and questioned him. And the young man wrote down for him the names of the 77 officials of Sukkoth, the elders of the town. Then Gideon came and said to the men of Sukkoth, Here are Ziba and Zalmunna about whom you taunted me, hello, by saying, do you already have the hands of them in your possession? Well, here are their hands, and here are their bodies. 
Why should we give bread to your exhausted men? He took the elders of the town and taught the men of Sukkoth a lesson by punishing them with desert thorns and briars. He also pulled down the tower of Peniel and killed the men of the town. These are Jews. These are brothers. Because they said, hey, look, we're a little hesitant about this. We really, you know, uh, God bless you. But, you know, and he comes back and they probably what happened is they went to pull down the tower and the men went to defend the towers and they ended up getting wiped out by the 300 crazies. Well, Roman rumor number four, Gideon goes sideways. He catches who he's after, verses 10 through 12. The two Z's. He calls it quits because he thinks, okay, now 15,000 of them are gone. They're two ringleaders. It's over. So he's coming back in victory with the two uh, bad guys, right? And so instead of joy and gratitude to God in his heart, he's filled with bitter revenge. He's merciless. You know, I started thinking about even way back in the beginning, what went wrong. And something stood out to me. When he hears the dream of the two Midianites in the tent, he gets all excited and he's sure that God has given the Midianite army over to him. And he goes back to his 300 guys and he says, get up, let's go. It's over. God has given them into our hands. And he says, follow my lead. Grab your torch, blow your trumpets, and we'll all shout together for the Lord and for Gideon. Oh, really? For the Lord and for me. <laughs> oh, now I'm starting to see a man who it's all about not the Lord anymore. It's all about me. It's all about him. Watch when it all becomes about you, where there is selfish ambition, the Bible says in James chapter 3, there you will find every evil practice. Selfish ambition, that this is my life, my agenda, what I want in life, where you have that, the Bible says every form of evil is right there, crouched within. And so we see it here. So on his triumphant return, he catches this teenager. He says, give me the names of everybody in the town, all the leaders. And so he writes it down and he cruelly flogs them with thorns and briars, pulls down the tower and all of that. We just read it. You know, listen, today I'm reading this and I'm thinking, well, this is something's reminding me. Uh, and, and I went to Pastor Jim and Pastor Adam and I said, where is it in the Bible where, you know, there's this victory and somebody wants to put somebody to death and somebody says, hey, you know, the Lord just did a great thing. We're not putting anybody to death. And so Pastor Jim found it first. Just so you know. Yeah. Look, don't all burst into applause at once. That's okay. But he, he, you know, he likes a little shout out once in a while. He's like, move along now. <laughs> 1 Samuel chapter 11, a similar situation that even King Saul gets in. So what was happening there, there was a town called Jabesh that was totally besieged, about to be wiped out by the Ammonites. Now, 
Saul is just about to become king. He isn't yet. He hears the ruckus. He sees the tears. He musters up 300,000 Israelites to fight. And they come and they fight and they win. And the hand of the Lord is upon Saul. And then listen to what happens. God gives them a, a dramatic victory. And the people then said to Samuel, who was it that asked, shall Saul reign over us? Because Saul just led them in this tremendous victory right there, right? But before, it was like, Saul who? We don't want that guy to be our king. And now God used him to do this thing. So the guys, after the battles all fought, the guys say, you know, bring those guys out to us and we will put them to death. But Saul says, no one shall be put to death today for the Lord has rescued Israel. Even King Saul, who we question his salvation. Well, nobody really knows. Nobody knows. You can't tell. It's too bad with lives like that. You're like, we hope so. But even this character says, you know, God has done a good thing. Why would you think about killing somebody today? Gideon, you were in a hole in the ground when God found you. Threshing away your little barley grain you were a nothing you were a nobody and look what God did for you and after all of that in this tremendous victory you have to come back and be mean-spirited and murderous merciless that's not the way we ought to be here's a great quote the fruit of a heart touched and filled with the grace of God is humility mercy and love and forgiveness toward others. The fruit of a heart filled with self-centeredness and pride is a calloused insensitivity to people and a disregard for the sacredness of life. I always think of Matthew 18, the unmerciful servant that has been forgiven $20 million debt for nothing other than his pitiful cries. And the master says, okay, you can have your wife and kids back, your house, the whole nine yards, you can go. You can never repay me, but you're free, just because. And he goes out and he finds somebody who owes him 20 bucks. The equivalent is, in the Greek, 20 bucks. And he grabs him by the scruff of the neck and throws him down and says, you're not getting out of prison until you pay me 20 bucks. Jesus like, how could the love of God, how could eternal life, how can a transformed heart live like that? He says, that's, that's impossible for you to experience the great wonder of God's grace and love and forgiveness and eternal life, knowing who you are and what he saved you from, and for you to come out of that experience mean-spirited, fault-finding, murderous, hateful, bitter. No way. No way. Something's wrong. Now, I'm not saying Gideon's not saved because he gets a shout out in the New Testament. He is a saved man. But saved men are capable of acting worse than pagans. And right here is a bad moment. God did a great thing through you. Soften your heart. Remember who you used to be before you have all of this honor and glory and power. 18 through 21. Now it's time to kill the two guys. Then he asked Ziba and Zulmuna, 
Uh, what kind of men did you kill at Tabor? Men like you, they answered, each one with the bearing of a prince. Gideon replied, those were my brothers, the sons of my own mother. As surely as the Lord lives, if you had spared their lives, I would not kill you. Turning to Jether, his oldest son, who just a kid, he said, kill them. But Jether did not draw his sword because he was just a boy and was afraid. Ziba and Zalmunna said, come do it yourself. As the man, so is his strength. So Gideon stepped forward and killed them and took the ornaments off their camels. Next, Roman number five, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. And it's, I'd like to tell you when Jesus or the Lord says vengeance is mine, it implies it's no one else's. Paul, the apostle, Romans chapter 12, do not take revenge, my friends, but leave room for God's wrath, for it is written in Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 35, it is mine to avenge, it is mine to repay. I will repay, says the Lord. Taking matters into our own hands, getting even, revenge is a big biblical thou shalt not ever. 100%. No such thing as the Christian needing to vindicate themselves. That is God's job. He says, you keep your heart sweet and free. You let me worry about that. That's my job. I take care of nobody gets by me. Everybody has to pass through me in this life. No one gets out alive. It's appointed unto men once to die, then the judgment. They face me. I'll take care of it. I take care of it more creatively, more thoroughly, more accurately, more balanced than you could ever do. So trust me. And so he wouldn't do that. He needed to take matters in his own hands. And so now we find out Oh, this is all about, the second battle is all about him and revenge about his brothers. Uh, what happens here, the two guys are standing there, and uh, he says to them, um, about, those two, about those guys you killed at Tabor years ago, any resemblance to me? And they said, uh, exactly. In fact, they look just like you, just exactly like you. And he says, yeah, I thought so. Those are my biological brothers at Tabor who died, and you're the guys who killed them. Now, if you hadn't done that, you wouldn't be getting killed here today. Oh, thanks for telling us. This whole chapter is about him getting revenge. So he gives the honor of executing them in verse 20 to his teenage boy who declines, thankfully. In verse 21, the two guys say, hey, look, you do it yourself. Why? Because it's dishonorable to be killed by a boy or a woman. And uh, it's a lot less painful to be killed by a warrior than somebody who doesn't know what they're doing. And so they say, you know, make quick work of us. And so he does. Okay, 22 to 35, and we're done. The Israelites say to Gideon, now rule over us, you, your son, and your grandson, a dynasty. Because you have saved us. You have saved us out of the hand of Midian. But Gideon told them, oh, he's got the good words here. I will not rule over you, nor will my son rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And he said, I do have one request, though, that each of you give me an earring 
from your share of the plunder, it was the custom of the Ishmaelites to wear gold earrings. They answered, oh, happy to do it. So they spread out a garment. Each man threw in a ring from his plunder. The weight of the gold was about 45 pounds in our understanding of that term, uh, not counting the ornaments, the pendants, the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian and the chains that were on their camels' necks. So he's a wealthy man. Gideon made the gold into an ephod, we're going to talk about that, which he placed in Ophrah, his hometown. All Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping that ephod there. And it became a snare to Gideon and his family. Thus Midian was subdued before the Israelites and did not raise its head again. During Gideon's lifetime, the land enjoyed 40 years of peace. Jerubbaal, son of Joash, that's Gideon's other name, uh, let Baal contend with him. That's what it means. Uh, went back home to live. He had 70 sons of his own, for he had many wives. His concubines, who lived in Shechem, also bore him a son whom he named Abimelech, which means my father is king. Um, Gideon, son of Joash, died at a good old age and was buried in the tomb of his father. Um, my page is torn. No. No what? Okay, thank you. Had Gideon died? Okay, no sooner. Why were you saying you giving me the wrong word? <laughs> no sooner is the word that's ripped out. <laughs> no sooner had Gideon died than the Israelites again prostituted themselves to the Baals. They set up Baal Berith as their God and did not remember the Lord their God who had rescued them from the hands of all their enemies on every side. They also failed to show kindness to the family of, of Gideon for all the good things that he had done for them. So finally, Roman numeral number six, the right words, the wrong behavior. Gideon says one thing, but does the other. It's a lot easier to talk about humility than to live it. So in verse 22, the people are wowed, and they say, hey, why don't we do a king thing here? You, your son, and your grandson. Let's just set up a monarchy like the other nations. And then he says, lip service only. Oh, we all know Israel has no king. We're not allowed to do that. We're a theocracy. I can't possibly do that. But if you wouldn't mind, next breath, but if you wouldn't mind giving me a king's ransom of the plunder and making me the wealthiest man in this whole region, oh, that would be fine. And they said, you know, glad to do it. And so they did that. So while he says no to the kingship with his lips, he says yes with his life. Uh, he accumulates a large harem. That's kings do that. He has concubines, only kings. Never endorsed by God, but that's what kings did. They like to say, look at my 70 sons. I'm so wealthy, I can take care of them all. That's what kings did. He accumulated a, a great fortune. Verse 26, he acquired royal robes and made an ephod to consult God. Verse 27, and he names his son, my father is king. So 
while he's saying, uh, the Holy Spirit wants you to know, oh, by the way, you want to know what he named his boy, <laughs> Mr. I'm not going to be a king. Uh, he names his, his kid, my father is king. <laughs> and then he does all, all these other things. And, and can you be a king and not hear from God? Well, so the men that he argued with, remember the Ephraimites who said, hey, what about us? They've got the temple. It's not the temple yet. It's the tabernacle. It's parked over there. And the ephod is an apron. Let me show you what it looks like here. It's the apron that the high priest only, he could wear it. Gideon is no Levite. The apron has this pouch. And in the pouch was the umim and the thumim. Those are two stones. And you could get, if you were the high priest with the anointing of the Lord, you could get a positive or negative answer from the Lord, reaching in and pulling out, Lord, should we do A or B? And you could find out. And so you could always discern God's will through the high priest, never fail through that. So whether he took the 45 pounds of gold and made an actual garment or whether he adorned the garment that they made with the gold or just a replica using the gold. Either way, it was brought back to his house where he had ripped down the shrine to the Baals, the Ashtarapoles of his father. Remember, in the beginning, God said, go get rid of that terrible shrine to prostitution. And he tore it down. This in gold goes back there, and they carry on the same prostitution as they did before, but now only they Christianized it. Oh, it's okay now. Sorry, Christianized is not quite right in the Old Testament, but they made it, oh, acceptable. It's a godly practice now. We can get our sensuality and worship in the same place and get our Self-gratification as well, but only under the cloak in the guise of, oh, we're worshiping because we're finding out God's will. And after all, God used Gideon. And so it was a trap. Thank you for putting that up there. It was a trap. And uh, I love this quote. When the heart is not truly changed, and if it's sensuality you want, it's very easy to find a way to gratify your sinful nature all under the guise of serving the Lord. So they get 40 years of peace, at least from the Midianites. Gideon dies, and surprise, they go right back to backsliding. I personally believe that they're just following Gideon's example. Uh, the worshiping there uh, the, at the Baals meant money and success. That's the god of Baal. And sex are the most important things. And so they're just following after what Gideon's example. Two sad notes to end on. No one remembered that God had intervened. Spiritual amnesia. It's like, yeah, oh yeah, that was a long time ago. Let's get busy engaging our uh, world or whatever it is they're doing. And number two, no one really showed gratefulness or kindness to Gideon's family for all that Gideon had done. You know what I thought? People are smarter than you think.
people know. They just know. Oh, it looked really cool, and, and he's got a lot of money, and he's got 70 sons, but they know he didn't really honor the Lord, and so they don't want to honor him. First uh, Samuel chapter 2, verse 20 says, Those who honor me, I will honor, but those who despise me will be disdained. And so uh, it ends sadly. I, I look around me after 32 years in ministry, and I see a lot of people who get elevated and then unravel. When God will do something really neat through somebody, they just think they're somebody special. They forget. And maybe that's why God had to give the Apostle Paul a thorn in his flesh. It's really the word in the Greek for tent peg. He said, I asked three times to take it away, God. And God said, you know what? You need this. And he says, Paul says, this trouble that God will not take away from me, this weakness, this thing I hate that cripples me and embarrasses me and makes me get on my knees every morning, he says, it's to keep me from being overly exalted in myself, to stop me from thinking more highly of myself than I ought. Those are things that God has placed in our lives as blessings, your cross to anchor you so that you don't go sideways and crazy. And I know you're thinking, Lord, if you could just trust me, take this away, I'll be so good. Really, I'll prove you wrong, really. But if he had to do that with the Apostle Paul to keep me from being exalted, God has blessed me and gifted me with this thing that grounds me. Do not despise your weakness. Do not despise your struggle. Do not despise the thing that grounds you. Because it, what grounds you is saving you. Here are my reflections from Gideon's life. Real fast. Number one, God uses ordinary people. He wants us to embrace our weakness and limited resources and watch him do great things. Number two, God is patient with us, providing encouragement and strength for our faith so that we can obey him and believe him in what he's called us to do. Three, it's important to finish well. You can have an amazing start with God and have him do powerful things in you and through you. But if you're not careful, you can end poorly by getting puffed up with pride, start doing your own thing, and by thinking more highly of yourself than you ought. Number four, sometimes it's not adversity and trouble that can break us. It's success and prosperity and achievements. In prosperous times, we can forget our need for God, be seduced by desire for self-indulgence, and fall. And in that fall, you'll hurt your testimony for God, you and your family. And finally, number five, even though Gideon ends poorly, God remembers him in the hall of faith for the good things. In spite of our terrible sins, the believer is covered with grace and mercy, and nothing we can do can separate us from his love. I was smiling, this big smile, driving back here, thinking that of Hebrews 11, where we believe it was Paul writing, he says, and what about 
Gideon and Barak and Samson. Shout out in the New Testament to the faith of Gideon. God, what made me smile, what makes me smile right now, God will remember all the good that his children do, and he will forget the bad. That encourages me not to go out and do bad so that it'll be covered and I can get away with it. It encourages me to go out and do more good so that that will be remembered. He remembers the good. He doesn't throw out the good even when you finish poorly. Romans chapter 8, there is nothing in all of creation that can separate you from his love. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are thankful for your grace. And there but the grace of God go every one of us, including myself. God, Lord, Gideon is a hero. And we, Lord, honor your word, which honors him. My Father, thank you for, for including in all of these characters flaws that we can learn by and be warned about. I take that to heart, Lord, and so do we all. Keep us, Lord, from falling, as your word says, to him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us blameless before the throne. To him be glory and honor forever. We thank you. We commit ourselves to your care. In Jesus' name, amen.